Welcome back to the R Squared Fantasy Football Podcast. I am your host, Ian. You can find me on Twitter at Dynasty underscore IM. I'm Akash. You can find me on Twitter at YZR underscore Fantasy. Awesome. Tight ends. Uh, yeah, you like Kyle Pitts? I like Kyle Pitts. Yeah, Kyle Pitts is someone we probably don't have to even talk about, really. Right. 1,000 yards as a rookie tight end is probably really good at football. If I'm in a tight end premium league, he's right up there in that Chase and Jefferson tier. JT, too. Yeah. Right there. Yep. Those kind of guys, um, like, I don't know. In in one quarterback leagues, he's likely top three pick ish. Yeah. That's where I'd take him. He should be a, a, a late one in superflex leagues. Yep, I'll late take him. One. Before, I think his ADP and... his ADP is two point oh one. Seems like yeah, I've seen him go higher than that in some other leagues. Um, I've seen him go one oh four in a tight end premium league superflex. I've seen him go one oh six. That's a bit pricey. Yeah, that's where you're getting a bit much, but but his ADP is you're right. It's around the end of the first. Yeah, and I've taken him at two point oh one. Uh, in two of my three startups this off season, so it's yeah, definitely kind of, value I really like. I don't have as much, uh, sadly. I'll have to go work on that. But yeah, Kyle Pitts, then Mark Andrews. He's a guy that I have a lot of because uh, I believe it was Coop Cooper underscore DFF. He said, uh, "Yeah, I like Andrews as a good Pitts constellation price. Constellation price is a good term because." That is elite production at prime producing age. He's 26 years old, just had 20 points per game in a season. I expect him to be competing for tight end one again this next season. <laughs> he's he's really good at the game. Yeah, that's um, a great way to put it. That he's a good consolation prize because, like, I I like what you're saying because we know Pitts is the clear like tight end smash. He's the clear tight end one. It's it's not even a discussion. That's why we didn't have to talk about it too much. But right. Mark Andrews being the tight end after Kyle Pitts is more of a discussion than it should be, if I'm being honest, because you get Mark Andrews as the clear divide between that group of Kittle, Waller, Kelsey, where all mm-hmm. three of them are aging, and we've also seen their production drop from its peak, yeah. at least in terms of earning targets, okay. um, which everything else does kind of go with it. Although yards per route run, I think Kittle's like still – pretty much in Kittle when it comes to that stuff. Yeah. But, but when we talk about Mark Andrews, we're talking about someone who's not at that same age curve. He's 26. Like you said, he's also still putting up 25%. Well, not still, this was his first year doing it, but he put up a 25% plus target share, which is something that neither of those three guys are doing being alphas anymore, which probably comes with being uh, a little bit older now. So and Mark had, Andrews, um, yeah. 24 in year two, 25, year three, 27 last year yep. on my feet. So yeah. that sounds better. I mean, he's a clear alpha and his quarterback is a good passer, despite what you're saying. And they just proved that they like their weapons, their uh, receiving weapons, and they threw more last year. So right. they're, they're, it's clear something you want to do. Mark Andrews is also like the clear alpha there. And he's younger and s- quite a bit more productive in terms of peripherals than the Kittle, Kelsey, Waller tier. Um, mm-hmm. So he's he's a clear tight end too, while at the same time being someone that me and Akash both think is the tight end one next year. Yeah, and um, I've seen people discount Andrews because his splits with Huntley were a lot greater than his splits with Lamar, and so they're just taking the Lamar splits and... I don't know, projecting them out and saying that the Huntley games skew the stats. 
but I'm not I'm not really thinking that way. I'm thinking more along the lines of okay, he had some in these three games with Huntley, he had a couple blow up games, but would you change your mind if one of those games was instead with Lamar and he had a dud game with Huntley? He would have the same end end result of points per game, but one game changing its result would change your whole opinion. It's just not something that I'm going down the path of. And so I'm not paying attention to that split as much. Yeah, so Mark, and Mark Andrews being the clearly best tight end at earning targets and by a considerable margin last year on a good yeah. offense, and he's still 26. So, yeah. Right. Prime Mark- age, prime production, uh, elite offense, elite quarterback. There's, everything's there. Yeah, and we've probably talked about Mark Andrews for more than we should have too because if we're talking about tight ends, it's it should be and clearly should be Kyle Pitts, Consolation Prize, Mark Andrews. And then you're starting to work your way down with tight ends. But Mark Andrews and Kyle Pitts are the premier stock, I would say, of the tight end market. Yeah, and then you have Kelsey, Kittle, Waller. That's what I'm thinking. And all three of guys are ones that I would put kind of in that same grouping. I Um, think I might maybe go Kittle over Kelsey. There's like a three-year age difference between them. Yeah, uh, Kelsey being the clear oldest by a couple years. Uh, yeah, that's a tough one because the production he has. The, he has. Um, I expect him to produce more. But Kittle's and despite what you may think, we actually it, it probably doesn't matter. But we also would lean towards the don't like that Tyree Kill left for him. Because, yeah, the offense a little bit. Yeah, because when really good receivers leave really good offenses, they are part of the reason it was a really good offense. So mm-hmm. there's a possibility we see um, some decrease in volume uh, or touchdown efficiency in Kansas City. But at the same time, it's Kansas City. It's a City. small, it's a small Patrick bit, Mahomes. Yeah. Um, it's still Travis Kelsey. Um, it's enough again, to knock Travis Kelsey down from being uh, really, really, really good to only a couple reallys and that's Kittle. So yes, and this is a tier that if I could find a way to trade up and add something onto a Kittle, Kelsey or Waller to turn it into Andrews, I would love to do it. And I think it's something that in like a lot of leagues, if I'm being honest, I think it's something that you could even make a small plus. Like I think, I think Mark Andrews is universally underrated. You could have a flex player um, onto it. And sure, you lose some depth, but you gain long-term security and increase your production. I'm, I'm with that. And a higher upside tight end. Yeah. In a year, it's almost a guarantee. It's not nothing's ever a guarantee, but because all of them will be pretty much 30 or older, and Andrews will be 27, that Andrews is going to be valued higher, and we yeah. expect Andrews to produce more along the way. So I'm with that. Yeah, and, and I love to do. It. After that, what are you, what are you doing? Sorting through all the mess. Yeah, so after like this kind of group of what I'd still consider to be elite tight ends, like every tight end we just named, we're expecting elite production from next year. Mm-hmm. And even that even includes Waller, just because Devontae Adams and his huge target share are going there doesn't mean that Waller is now screwed. In yeah. fact, um, we should be expecting a much larger drop in target share from Devontae Adams than we are in Darren Waller. There's even the chance Darren Waller, who had a down year last year compared to his last couple, um, there's actually a chance his target share increases because it wasn't as high as we would have thought last year. So there is that chance, but yeah. there's, there's not like Devonte Adams isn't going to come in and completely nuke Darren Waller. Like, mm-hmm. like we just said with Tyree kill 
good players that come into offenses make that offense better. Like good players make good offenses. So when Devontae Adams comes in, sure, he'll eat targets that weren't being eaten last year, but there'll also be targets that weren't there last year because he's extending drives. They're getting more touchdowns because of good players in the offense. Yeah. So that just allows more opportunity for someone like Darren Waller. Like yeah. the like when your sure, offense gets better. It's yeah, um, that's the thing. it's a rising tide lifting all boats. You yeah, you can look and you can be like, well, uh, Darren Waller's target share is going to drop like this much because Devonte Adams is coming in and his is going to be here. Sure. You could do that. But the thing is the pie is getting bigger because Devonte yeah. Adams came. That's what we should be thinking. Like the touchdown should go up. The offense as a whole should go up and that should make us excited for Darren Waller who right now I think might be one of the bigger buys on the market. Um, mm-hmm. And he's not someone I'm rushing out to buy because there's age, there's risk, but yeah. he's also someone who like, it seems like in a lot of leagues, there's the possibility you could trade your Dawson Knox and a third to get Darren Waller. <laughs> yeah, which is a move I'm absolutely doing. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. It feels like that's a move you only make in a, a couple leagues. It's not like overwhelmingly doable. But Waller is like uh, Andrew's consolation prize, and Andrew's the Pitts consolation prize. So Waller is the Pitts consolation prize, consolation prize. Because I'm not like, unless I'm really not competing i'm not looking to rush out like a mike gusecki or dalton schultz in my tight end spot because you're not getting that much production above replacement i would rather get the elite production for less time than extended mediocrity yeah 100 percent. it's i mean you can use this argument a lot elite tight end or bust yeah Yeah. it's like the mac jones argument kind of thing (laughs) but But uh after that after this elite um dallas goddard would be my next tight end um I wouldn't put him like in that elite range with him because but he, I think he has elite potential. He has his peripherals are really good. Um, mm-hmm. His yards per run, his target rate are really good. Um, once wow. Zach Ertz left, um, this is actually a take I was wrong on. And actually it's helped to get more into tight ends, realize what makes them work. Cause Akash was one of the first people talking about uh, tight end de- uh, like roles and how much it matters and how much um, like, like just because unlike wide receivers, like wide receivers that aren't getting used, we usually like expect that that's just because they aren't that good. Like if right. your target share is low because you're not on the field a lot as a wide receiver, that's a lot different than a tight end because tight because ends are most being, teams only start one tight end. There's very few teams yeah. rolling out 12 personnel that much. And a lot of them will use them like in the blocking game. Mm-hmm. Like, like you see with Goddard, which was the frustrating part is he's his what we've seen from his career is he's always been a good receiver but he hasn't had the chance to really be fantasy productive with how good of a receiver he's been because of Ertz there. Because the thing of, is, he has been, been a solid blocker. He's been pretty productive. Like He's been top 12 um, in points per game, and that's with Ertz being there. And once Ertz left, his he pretty much shot through, through the roof at times where yeah. was, his target share was going up. His target rate's always been really good. And so, yeah, there's definitely potential for him. As long as this offense isn't... Um, in the uh, dead ball passing volume range, then we could see really good things from him. Yeah, he actually like, has a he has Andrews, three tight end but, twelve seasons. I didn't realize that he doesn't. Yeah, he's like he's like the the arguments for Goddard are the are he's basically Andrews from a couple of years ago. Not saying that the results going to be the same, but the upside is definitely there. No, and I like Goddard. The problem with Goddard for me um, has nothing to do with who he is as a receiver or anything like that. It's just yeah. for next year alone. 
Well, obviously he hasn't like put up the level of production we just talked about with the five guys before. So he's yeah. already not in that range, but um, part of it is it's going to be a low volume passing offense likely again. And that also is going to come with low efficiency with Jalen hurts most likely. Yeah, so that's tough. the part that we don't like because everything about Goddard's profile, like his peripherals um, when he starts getting like, especially last year when they really let him go uh, mm-hmm. with, in the receiving uh, work, like less more route participation or higher is we really saw him blow up. But the problem is the offense as a whole, especially projecting for next year, it's yep. likely to remain low volume, low efficiency, which no matter how good you are, is really hard to overcome in fantasy. Yeah. It's tough because that, that can certainly be your median expectation, but um, I think it, that predicting passing volume and, and efficiency mm-hmm. is tougher. That, the end of the range of outcomes for that. So I would, um, I would agree. It can be hard to predict. And so that, that would allow Goddard to reach a higher ceiling, which I think is worth investing in. Yeah. And because- I agree. I, he does have a really high ceiling too, because like we talk about, you know, you shouldn't buy players or not, or sell players because of the situation. Like you mm-hmm. should just focus on the talent because it changes so much. Like who would have, like everyone thought Noah Fant was about to get Russell Wilson, didn't realize he was getting, like, it just, it's too yeah. crazy. Like Dallas Goddard could have Bryce Young next year, or he could be playing on a different team and have a good quarterback, like however it is. But I will refute you on, because I agree that you can't predict pass volume. The best way to mm-hmm. do it or to get a clue of is look at last year's. But again, you, still shouldn't, you still shouldn't be projecting that. Mm-hmm. Um, but one thing, that I'll refute you on is the uh, efficiency because I'm talking like touchdown efficiency because that yeah. that's created by their quarterbacks and typically pretty sticky with their quarterbacks. Okay. So like like Jalen Hurts, someone who's throwing like 3.5% touchdown rate, that's likely to stick because okay. quarterbacks usually create their own. Like you'll see Russell Wilson's offenses are always like 5 to 6% touchdown rate, like really high. Because and, Russell Wilson's because coming, Russell coming Wilson's really, them, yeah. Yeah. So that I mean, we can hope for higher volume, but I think we're we should expect low efficiency. Okay, I got you. And even so, even with all that, even if the worst case scenario for the situation, Goddard on full participation with how good yes. he is, efficiency wise as a receiver, you could still end up with um, mid tight end one production. Yeah, no, and I I like Goddard. You like Goddard, so yeah. And then after that. Um, after that, Hawkinson it's kind of Fant. Hawkinson, yeah. Fant. I'd even at the end throw around Pat Fryermuth because um, I think there's upside yeah. in the profile. Um, it, there's he doesn't there's have that elite, elite athleticism that that's the uh, hard part allows that's for an elite ceiling. Yeah, I uh, just did a video on tight ends, and of all the tight ends to have top three seasons, I believe only one is raw, and that's Zach Ertz. So it being a low athleticism tight end is definitely really hard to, which is why you, you shouldn't take Patty above any of those, or even you shouldn't really take Patty at ADP. If I'm being honest. Yeah. I'm not taking him at ADP. Like it, his Rue is solid. There's some solid options, but if you look, you see a lot of the like high end guys on his range of outcomes are freaks. So they, they mm-hmm. have something that Fryermuth will never have. Right. It, it's hard to project that, but I would say Fant and Hawkinson are the two after that. Um, Hawkinson to me, clearly overrated. Um, like because he, he's like double the price of Fant or something. Yeah. Like if you, if no, you, a lot more. yeah, if you look at him and Fant's uh, peripherals year one through three, it's, you're basically looking at the exact same thing. 
Like the yeah. only real difference was last year. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, Hawkinson had like a point and a half more points per game and a 3% higher target share. But and that's because that, he ran more that, routes. That's because he had 10% higher route participation. And then when mm-hmm. you look at like yards per run, yards per team, pass attempt, target rate, it was still the same. So they're yeah. basically like the same-ish, uh, mm-hmm. both not in like great situations at all, to be honest. So it, no advantage there, in my opinion. And Fant has the higher athleticism. So all the, I would actually prefer Fant in a vacuum, and he's the cheaper one. I'm not saying it's a clear like oh, I'd obviously smash fan over Hawkinson. No, like their profiles are just so similar. I'll take the one that's more athletic. Um, yeah. And yeah. after that, then <laughs> really messy. And then after that, you should just pivot to shitty running backs. <laughs> that's right. Or Evan Ingram plus a shitty running back. Yeah, the, the this range right here in terms of production. So we're talking about the top tight ends, but right about this range is where we're going to have someone where neither of us have talked about, and he's going to have that Robert Tunyon-esque season where he has 15% touchdown rate. Because literally, I, I can't think of a year, and this is just off the top of my head, where there wasn't a middling tight end one who – wasn't very good and literally was relying on a massive amount of touchdowns like uh, yeah, Dawson Knox nice. this year, um, Robert Tunyon the year prior, uh, Logan Thomas. Um, yeah. You just kind of, that's just how tight ends are. No, and no, it man. makes sense. Thomas, like, Thomas had a 19% target share. He was solid. He wasn't catching many touchdowns as Tunyon. Oh, I had that wrong. I had that very wrong, actually. It's all good. But, all the time there's tight ends coming out of nowhere, put up low tight end one seasons, and then we never see him again. And, and I think part of that... That gives me like, the best transition into Dawson Knox, whose perpetual mediocrity has vaulted him up into the top 12 tight ends because he catches a lot of touchdowns. Yeah. Nah, he has the lowest yards per hour run out of all the tight ends on this, and I think he also has the lowest uh, target share, but he catches a lot of touchdowns, and so that's why he barely snuck into the top 12 in points per game, and that's why he's staying there, because people expect to continue. When he's basically Robert Tunyon's successor. He yeah. could continue yeah. producing at a replaceable level, but the floor is just too low to invest in. Oh, yeah. He could have the same season, drop a couple touchdowns off, and he's no longer a tight end one, which isn't a hard thing to do because being yeah. a tight end one is like you get a lot of kind of, uh, wow, this guy was a tight end one once kind of things. <laughs> but like uh, one thing great. I noticed in terms of difference between like tight ends and wide receivers, aside from the fact that there's just a lot better wide receivers. Like there's mm-hmm. a lot more good wide receivers is that when you're looking at touchdown rates, it's much, much higher for tight ends, which makes sense. That's they probably are predominantly used in the red zone. Like they're big bodies. Yeah, like sounds- I'm sure that's like, cause you just see way higher touchdown rates in tight ends compared to wide receivers, which makes sense to me, but also makes yeah. sense to me as to why you'll see some, you know, random big body tight end that you weren't expecting this year who's going to be a middling tight end one based off touchdown volume alone. Mm-hmm. I'm with you. So, um, other so guys the, key, the key to that, if you're going to um, make that actionable is, and I don't even think it's that bad of a strategy when you're in like the 20s where basically every player has the same value, I would say like, if you're taking someone in the 21st and the 24th, there's, there's no difference there. Yeah. But when you get into around twenties, take tight ends, who are on a fine depth chart with a good quarterback. I think that's kind of like the secret to it. Like Robert Tunyon played with Aaron Rodgers, and yeah, Robert Tunyon's TD rate was really good, but that was a reflection of Rodgers and being used a lot in the red zone. 
Same mm-hmm. same thing with Dawson Knox. Like, like that actually comes from Josh Allen's touchdown, right? And there's yeah. no one in the depth chart. Like that, if you're gonna find one of these guys and it, it like to sell later, essentially, right? Because they aren't good. They're just stashes. You, yeah, you should you should be finding them with quarterbacks you think are good or have high TD rates. Let's mm-hmm. see, like this year, who are we, uh, who are we thinking? Gerald um, Everett. Everett. Um, Austin Hooper. Uh, where do you, where do you go? Titans. Need still, I don't know. I don't think Tannehill's all that. Tannehill's high. got a pretty high touchdown rate. It's not too bad, but yeah, super low, work. super low volume. Although tough to predict, but the Titans have always yeah. been low volume. And Joku with his and Joku. price. Uh, and Joku's price has risen up to the point where he's no longer that twentieth round guy. I've seen going like right after this the tier of Titans we're talking about. So maybe not him. OJ Howard, I think. Yeah, there's I've a, got OJ. There's I mean, a non-zero just chance t- that OJ Howard is. The tight end one is Dawson Knox. Yeah. Yeah. And it again with a, t- a quarterback who has a tight touchdown, right? So Not I'd say all the ones we see, but it's certainly yeah. anything's possible. Like of all the ones we said, if you can get around 20 Gerald Everett, I'm fine with it. Like he's empty depth chart ahead of him as a tight end. So at least we should expect his route participation to be not total chat. And then he's going to be with a quarterback who's going to throw a lot of touchdowns. And mm-hmm. that's enough in a bad tight end landscape, like it's always been, that's enough to make Gerald Everett like tight end eight or whatever it is. And then next year you sell him for the price that you sold Dawson Knox for this year. Yeah. Not saying it's going to happen, but I think those are solid shots to send out. I remember Andrew Cooper, I believe talking about, you want to find guys who have a path to be the second um, receiver on their team. That's a good one too. And so um, one of the New York tight ends, maybe. Uh, Corey, nah, they could draft someone easily. It's tough. Um, Rob Gronkowski, because he's just so cheap. He could retire, but then if he doesn't retire, it's just another season of top five production. Yep, from a quarterback who has a high TD rate. Because <laughs> yeah, yeah, and then after that, after that, so Dalton Schultz, Mike Gesicki. And Alberto, who else have we? Wait, this on? actually, this, yeah, Alberto was a good one. This, uh, Cameron Brait, because no. there's a thing if Rob Gronkowski doesn't retire, that's or crazy. does retire, I mean, I don't know. <laughs> and really that, that's an offense. Dark now. I mean, shoot, Cameron Brait. I mean, you kind of Cameron Brait has a top 12 season in his career, right? He does, I think. Yeah, I think he does because he caught a bunch of touchdowns one year. These things happen, yeah, and he could do that again with Tom Brady because Gronk just came out the other day and said he doesn't know if he's going to play. Like, and he's yeah, I saw a clip of him in a barbershop saying that he was going to come back, but I've heard him say a lot of things. <laughs> I think Gronk just says a lot of things in general. I think that's just trolling thing, yeah, I think that's his MO, yeah, so. So speaking of low target shares and not very good production, but being with good quarterbacks, that's I right. Think another Kosh tight end, just the guy for you. <laughs> right, we're going to talk about another guy who's basically a tight end in that he has a low target share, but catches a lot of touchdowns sometimes, and he's six five. So everyone knows we're going to talk about Alan Lazard now, who's a very skinny tight end. No, he's a the the poster boy. <laughs> Right now, because there's poster boys all the time for eternal optimism and hoping that a QB makes the wide receiver good. Every offseason, we see people like facepalm and be like, oh, how foolish was I for touting Miko Hardman 
because he was going to be the second wide receiver in the Kansas City Excuse offense, and then he actually wasn't very good because he hasn't been good his whole career. And the difference like, yeah. with the, the Lazard hype, the Lazard narrative, is that mm-hmm. I'd say it's actually two, he's the wide it's, receiver one. It's a much um, you're you're combining narratives here with the Lazard okay. one because not only are you using the freed up depth chart, he's the wide receiver one of the team. You're also now. using the he's got a good quarterback argument as well mm-hmm. along with it. So in terms of narratives, Alan Lazard is a league winner narrative prospect. That's right. Points for narrative leagues, he's going to go off. <laughs> yeah, I've seen <laughs> nothing but narratives um, for touting him because he's not a very good player. Last year, he had... And weirdly, have you been seeing a lot of trades with him involved? I feel like I'll go through the Twitter timeline and there's another trade with Alan Lazard and it having some sort of value. Right, when he should be less than a throw-in. I don't know. If I was going to trade for Lazard, I would, if like taking market value and what I could sell him for later, I would give maybe like a mid third or a late third for him. I actually just realized um, Alan Lazard actually stacks on a third narrative. That's how good he is. I think you're forgetting the Devonte Adams narrative. That's right. Because um, there's also the one that he plays on the Green Bay Packers team with Devonte Adams, or was with Devonte Adams with Aaron Rodgers, who turns his wide receivers who aren't much into everything. Right. Yeah. Last year, Alan Lazard had the best season of his career points per game wise at 54th amongst wide receivers in points per game. And he needed eight touchdowns on 60 targets to do so. Now, the other thing about Lazard, when you think about it in reality, like we're, we're people are bumping him up like wide receiver one of the Packers is going to be so good. Yeah. When you think about it, these narratives could have been true last year. He's just the wide receiver too. Like all right. that happened was they got like the other weapons besides Devonte Adams were nothing. Like that's, that's Cobb, what I don't. don't like Rogers, even yes, yeah, even teams that have these level of players like there were like there was Cooper plenty of opportunity Cup, for yeah uh, another Lazard to to seize because there was really no one else competing for it like. And him not doing anything should be a reflection of him as a player where he had a 12% target share and like eight points per game. Yeah. Nine points know, per I, game. Mean, I mean, it's it shouldn't hold you back that one receiver on your team is dominating some targets. Like mm-hmm. just we just talked about Mark Andrews who had a 27% target share last year. Yeah. Didn't stop Marquise Brown from putting up 26%, I believe. Yeah. And on top of that, those two guys did that, and they even had a third guy get third like a seventeen percent or seventeen percent target, right? Which share. was higher than Lazard had last year. And then so, yes, we see offenses with multiple good receivers all the time. We see the Thielen Jefferson, we see the Ravens, we see the 49ers, we see the Chiefs, and Lazard doesn't fit the bill because last year he had twelve percent target share. He, out of 110 wide receivers with 37 targets, he ranked 88th in yards per out run and 85th in PFF receiving grade. That's that's not that's, that's not, not very good. good. And he was right next to um, uh, Joshua Palmer and Nelson Aguilar in those metrics. Well, I've heard Joshua Palmer's good, but uh-huh. yeah, basically all this to say that I Alan Lazard they- somehow carries value in fantasy in dynasty fantasy football when. He shouldn't carry much of any value, and so that makes him a pretty easy sell. I think the easiest thing to do with Lazard is go back and look at wide receiver finishes for the last, I don't know, 10 years, 
And you tell me where a player in this Alan Lazard narrative mm-hmm. where he got thrust into the wide receiver one role, <laughs> Tyrell Williams last year, or gets thrusted <laughs> into the wide receiver one role and everyone's like, well, someone has to be the wide receiver one on this team. Find yeah. how much that could lead to production if you don't have any prior like solid production is what I'm saying. So I'm saying Marcus if you Callaway? haven't been good. Uh, yeah, I mean. That's... Marcus Calloway, Tyrell Williams last year. Before that, who was it? Denzel Mims? Uh, yeah. Uh, it doesn't work out that often, just to be concise. Yeah, and the thing is, even if you were going to point like, hey, look, it worked for Michael Pittman Jr. last year. You know, there's a possibility that a second-round rookie going into his second year was actually good. Yeah. It's not because he was the wide receiver one on his team. It's because Pittman is actually a is actually good. Receiver. And when you look at his peripherals, his route, uh, yards per route run was pretty solid. Like his mm-hmm. yards per team pass attempt was solid. Like he proved he was a good receiver. He didn't just prove he was the wide receiver one. He on didn't flail upwards into more targets, which is what people exactly. are betting on Alan Lazard to do. You could do that with running backs. Don't or carries running back carries. Don't do that with wide receivers. Yeah, I'm with you. And then, speaking of running back carries, this is the best segue ever. Antonio Gibson has yet another running back um, in the draft uh, visiting his team, where this time it's Isaiah Spiller. They've already hosted Kenneth Walker and Brees Hall last year. They were linked to Travis Etienne. I don't know, writing on the wall for Gibson, what do you think? Yeah, I mean, I've probably talked about uh, Gibson's dynasty value negatively more than a lot of people have. Mm -hmm. But... The thing was, Gibson was never a good prospect, which was yeah, yeah, he was the problem. Um, and then he had a short burst of success, I would say, where people were able to like create splits and say he was this high in the sample of games. Which running back, a lot of different running backs can do that. Like take Tyson Williams two week sample, or like whatever you want to do, you can do that. Miles standards for the back half of twenty nineteen, exactly. Draft. And then he gets drafted as a first round pick in twenty. 20- the next season yeah, much like gibson yeah and that and the thing with gibson is that not only that he had third round draft capital which for a running back is not good or safe at all so it's his fourth but it's not amazing yeah, it's, right. so he's not a day three guy but it's not your round two that you really want mm-hmm. and on top of that they've proven that they don't trust him to the fullest extent if that makes sense like it's not like they drafted this guy and fell in love with him like they were still using jd mckissick which is partly of what made JD McKissick such a valuable asset last year at times yeah. was because they would use him in the two minute role where you get a huge burst of receptions, like points. Uh, you can usually end with a touchdown. Um, like the two minute, I Hayden Winks did a study on this where the two minute drill or the, the three minute offense at the end of a half or the mm-hmm. game actually spikes fantasy points a lot. And From so, receiving, yeah. So just that alone, they've already brought J.D. McKissick back, which that's another thing that doesn't look good. McKissick signed somewhere, and Washington felt it so necessary to reverse his decision and make him come back. And now they're talking to They match the offer. Yeah, Yeah, and they're not just talking to one running back. They're talking to all three of the running backs we're expecting, or the top running backs of the class that we have. Mm -hmm. I mean, I don't think anyone's going to argue with us that Spiller, Walker, and Hall – the top three running backs in the class and Washington's talking to all of them. (laughs) And it's like, one thing we do is like, there's a lot of stuff that comes out. Like they're talking to these guys, like, like the Jimmy Garoppolo thing. You and me were on here saying, don't stress. It's fine. Trey Lance is going to be the starter. It's fine. You can do that and not be stressed. 
when there's a proven production record, when you've had good peripherals, when the team has like, like the thing with Lance is the team invested three first round picks to get him. And so that that's them showing what has Washington done with Gibson? Well, they've tried to interview more running backs, show interest. They've they've flipped a signing for the running back they use in the two-minute drill. Like there hasn't been anything but small samples to tell us Antonio Gibson is a really good running back. There's been ADP, which doesn't tell us he's a good running back. And there's been small it tells samples. Us that- Rivera called him CMC once and people ran with it. <laughs> yes, that's that narrative working their way into ADP again. <laughs> that's right. Yeah, I'm with you. And they, it's just, um, you talked about the third rounders. Uh, I remember you had a list of third rounders who had similar usage to Gibson through their first couple of years. Yeah, I think, uh, I think I was on a, a thread I did last year. I don't know if yeah. I have that like on me, but uh Firstly, like third rounders and second rounders. We talked about this before we started recording, but for running backs, there's kind of a healthy difference between a third rounder and a second rounder, at least in terms of hit rates and like proof that you're good. I and Antonio, it. oh, you did? Yeah. It's yeah. uh, it, you made it at the beginning of this off season for running backs with the around like Gibson's carry percentage. So 40% plus in their first two seasons as a third rounder. And yeah, it's a wide range of outcomes ranging from DeMarco Murray Kareem Hunt to and David Montgomery to Steve Slayton and Kevin Smith. Yeah, and I, yeah. I that kind of fits in my like. There's the yeah. chance that Antonio Gibson gets work and he's fine. Yeah, because he's gotten work so far, and so there's yeah, he could very easily get work uh, that he's seen so far that's led him to be a high RB two in production. But the floor is just way too low at his current price, where he's going around the one hundred one or one hundred two. Yeah, I remember part of my thread last year. It wasn't the most well put together thread. I've gotten better since the Gibson one, which actually ended up being like literally spot on, which is funny because yeah. it's not my favorite thread I've ever done. I got to go back but, and read it. I don't remember it. But uh, part of what I said was like when you have stuff with Antonio Gibson where you already like haven't proved you're going to invest a lot of capital in him, like round mm-hmm. three capital doesn't prove that that's your running back. Um, okay is what I'm trying to say there. And then you already get the rumor. So he wasn't like super productive or anything as a rookie. And then you already get the rumors that they're willing to spend a first on a running back. And part of that Travis Etienne was in my thread because if an organization that doesn't uh, like throw draft capital that would say like, you're ours, we're, we're backing you. And then there's constant rumors and you see like the JD McKissick stuff, like that's the stuff. Sure. It's not, peripheral stuff but his peripherals aren't already aren't great so it's taking yeah. stuff like that into consideration i do think matters if that makes sense like yeah it's not they it's talked not to travis Etienne last year so should it have been a surprise they're talking to three of the best running backs in this class yeah it shouldn't be other word otherworldly that they try to get someone to either compliment or somewhat replace him because he was a former third rounder who wasn't that efficient last year and they've shown signs of wanting to um, add to the backfield. Yeah, I would be legitimately worried if they added to the backfield and you had Antonio Gibson. Like, it, yeah. you want to say, oh, it's a running mate because there there is a lot of that. Like, like two running back grinders that teams use. You see it a lot. Yeah, but the problem is you already have you already have um, McKissick. McKissick on the third downs, and so if you're splitting the two down roll with someone else, then you're and the two down roll is already not an attractive one because you're missing out on the likely passing work. Right. And so 
if you're splitting the two down roll, your uh, fantasy output, I don't know. What, is it, what kind of production do you expect? Like a Moss Singletary split. Yeah, I mean, that's very funny. And that, that's not really good. Where both offense. of them are screwed, basically. Yeah. So I would be basically, I think Antonio Gibson's value would be completely shot if they do draft one. Yeah, because that makes sense. The floor, the floor is um, too low to be rostering him at this point. Yeah, and it's, I mean, if we're being honest, there's a lot of running backs like Mc, uh, Gibson who carry a solid amount of value that their team could honestly take a running back in the first round, and you're like, or not the first round, in the first three rounds of this draft, yeah. and all of a sudden the value is going to tank. Like, there's a lot of teams where you're getting excited about a running back, a situation like Gibson. Like, I remember how excited people were about Gibson when McKissick went to Buffalo. Like people that got just, and it sends value up and then it could easily just be absolutely smashed by a running back getting taken. Like, yeah, I was trying to like Melvin Gordon was someone last year who people were like, Oh, he's on the, he's going to be the RB one of this offense and all this stuff. And then Javante Williams goes there and we kind of see like the Melvin Gordon. It wasn't to the level that the, that the Gibson is that we're talking about. But what I'm saying is there's not a lot of running backs who are safe right now. Like yeah, now is probably a terrible time to be investing in non top tier running back assets right if you're not jt swift um mccaffrey saquon and who else like dalvin cook yeah dalvin cook um then i think that your team could easily draft someone like even the bucks yeah they're not gonna draft them but even like the bucks could draft someone or the broncos could draft someone because they really have no one outside of the uh, you know, we we project Fournette and Javante to be war parts. They could easily draft someone round three or round four yeah. to uh, have a role. And we, neither of us would be surprised, if we're being honest. Like, yeah. there's probably only a few teams that, if they were to draft a running back, we would be like, "Wow, that's kind of weird." Because, because firstly, drafting a running back in the NFL draft is uh, for an NFL team is already suboptimal. <laughs> so, like, you're already questioning drafting a running back. If I'm being honest. But it should be, yeah. Like in terms of fantasy, where or not in terms of non fantasy, like to NFL GMs, where running backs don't matter to them. Like if I'm being honest, they 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 prove it honestly. But the, you're you're seeing now a lot more like two running back tandems, like and it's not even yeah. on low capital. Like the Javante one last year, like they drafted Javante and they ran a tandem, and both of them were good running backs last year. Like absolutely, that's that's kind of just the deal with running backs is you're working instead of earned volume, you're working off given volume, which is where you're basically at the the heels of um, like the GM or the coach or however they're running it. So that already makes them hard to project, which is why we say there's like these four or five running backs who have got like this crazy amount of volume, and the team has shown. Job, they're not going to draft anyone. Yeah, the team has shown that that's like the running back they want to use, that they like their productive running back. But that's the thing. There's not many of them. So, yeah. with that, the time to buy running backs is before the season starts. Not right now. Yeah, I agree. Or, I mean, you could try to overthink the system and get running backs that aren't worth much and hope they survive the get, draft. <laughs> yeah, but again, that's I, I super suboptimal. It's like Miles Gaskin <laughs> last year. Like, um, Buying a Marlon Mack or something. Yeah, sure, you can buy him. He's probably cost like a third rounder. And if he survives the draft, then he's a guy who has two hundred thousand uh, yard seasons on his resume. And I wish I could tell you I was kidding. But I woke up 
got some breakfast, started eating, went on the Twitter timeline. And the second post I saw was a buy Marlon Mack post. I'm not kidding you. What's wrong with that? I like Marlon Mack for his price. Well, the price is nothing. The price is like exactly. absolutely so free. Buying? I didn't say buying there was that? anything wrong with buying. But okay. we're, we're talking about Marlon Mack right now. And I think the odds that you go on your phone and you see him buy Marlon Mack post, like just on your timeline, that's probably the first one I've seen in over a year. <laughs> I've seen a couple people touting him uh, even last year because, you know, there's always someone that has their guys. I don't hate it. If you if you want a secret to touting someone, you could tout any running back. That's my secret. It's It's yeah. an easy thing to do. Just say they're going to get volume, and you manifest it. Yeah, and because we know that uh, uh, carries or volume for running backs is more given than earned compared mm-hmm. to like wide receivers, it's so easy to say, well, look at this coach here. I mean, he doesn't, he doesn't know what he's doing. <laughs> I, this fantasy analysis with spreadsheets, saw that running back here was making these people miss at this rate. Like, <laughs> that, that's, that's just the thing with running backs. Like, Leonard Fournette, in terms of peripherals, especially after leaving Jacksonville, weren't like great or anything like that. He was pretty well, bad. What was he? He was, he was a, like an efficiency. Like basically, he was RBF, yeah. And then, but what did we know about Leonard Fournette? We knew that he was someone who could like handle volume, which not that's something that running backs, not all of them can do. Surprisingly, you'll hear every running back called a bell cow, but there's only a few that can actually do that. That's what Leonard Fournette can, could do. And look mm-hmm. what he did in a good offense. He absolutely blew up. So the thing with running backs, and I know we're like getting off track here, is that you it's really hard to use metrics like we talk about yards per run, target share, like all the stuff with wide receivers where we can predict their volume, their talent, because they're earning that. Like when we yeah. talk about running backs, like like I just said with Leonard Fournette, he, his, he, his efficiency was terrible when he was leaving Jacksonville, like bad. Yeah. But he was someone who had handled a workload before. And they just threw him into a Brady offense, and he handled the workload. Yeah, I, the I don't know the, what his efficiency was last year because I stopped it about, caring. It was better. It was better. But, yeah. The thing with the running backs is that the thing that I'm looking for the most is have they shown the ability to do it um, consistently, and have they they've proven it. And so I'm looking for proven guys. It's one of the reasons that I'm just not as high on players like. AJ Dillon, Tony Pollard, Rashad Penny. Yeah, I'm more, uh, I'm more looking to invest in proven uh, guys who have more upside. Yeah, I'm continuously below uh, market value on Najee Harris because mm-hmm. he's he was someone who wasn't a good prospect, and his efficiency metrics, like we talked about, are, are really bad. But guess what? Yeah, his, his team invested first round capital in him, and or then not they gave a team, a as, and they let him he proved that he could handle the workload he was given so guess what if in two years from now Najee harris gets cut by the steelers because he has shit efficiency which is true because he's not a good efficient running back yeah and then i will probably get him for cheaper for like the first time in my dynasty he follows the lenny fournette's pathway then i will invest in him for the first time i yeah i'm just saying (laughs) that you should not get over like when it comes to running backs simplify everything down because you're relying on coach's decision more than you're relying on your diagnosis of the talent. Like, if that makes sense, you know? Yeah, that makes sense. Like, like you and me could be like, Deontay Harris did this in this short, like, there's upside there. His peripherals say this. Like, he was really efficient here. And yeah. there's that chance that he's, like, actually good because of that. 
But then we could do, we could get super deep into like, well, look, Antonio Gibson is actually super efficient when you look like right here. And all it takes is Ron Rivera saying, no, I've done this for a couple years. I want this. I That's want the out. Thing I'm going to Isaiah Spiller. Yeah, yeah. And they can't, they can't, just because the coach doesn't like him, they can't go to a new team and earn their volume. The other coach would have to like them. Yeah. I don't know. The Deontay Harris analogy. It wasn't great because Deontay Harris is probably not. He still has to earn the routes. He still has to be given those routes. Yeah, no, that was probably not a great one. Um, I'm trying to th- like. Uh, here's a better one. Like, uh, okay, uh, a Will Fuller, a Jarvis Landry, someone who's earned that volume. Yeah, like continuously, despite you not thinking they're good or efficient or anything like that, they still get yeah. twenty plus percent because they earn that. Whereas, you know. It's not at the whim of his front office and coach, pretty much. Yep. And so, when looking at running backs, you should look is this uh, organization tied to them? And is is it a realistic outcome that he can carry a workload? Which is exactly why you should be selling Michael Carter. Yeah. Carter is, yeah. Like, Whereas Gibson is none of those things. He didn't profile as a workhorse at all in college. He had 33 carries, right? Yeah, he's a wide receiver. Right, and then he gets drafted in the third round as a gadget player. They put him into the running back role. He was in a limited role as a rookie because rookies do that sometimes. And then in his first year of seeing actual volume, he isn't efficient on it. And they've continuously shown that they there's small bits of writing on the wall that they want to invest elsewhere at running back. And so that makes the floor all, all too low for me. Yeah, especially with where he's being valued. Like, he's still in a – like fairly high value running back where you can get a solid return on it i mean it wasn't that long ago someone traded the 1.01 for him i'm not sure that was ever market value but that's yeah it seems a bit no but that doesn't seem too outrageous like bruce hall's rb6 on key trade cut and Antonio gibson at one point was rb6 last year yeah right now he's nine that's still crazy high it is crazy high it's um yeah i just did a deal the other day of um Gibson and Godwin, and I got Debo and the 106. Yeah, I really like that one. Yeah. Well done. Thank you. That's, I think that's about it. you have any other closing thoughts? Um, running backs are annoying. They're really annoying. Right. Yeah, they uh, are. Yeah, there's, there's a reason that they're the hardest position to get an accurate rule on because we're at the whims of coaches. Right. Zero RB for the win. Just... Figure it out later, I guess. Get a bunch of cheap uh, guys who could see volume and then go from there. The, yeah, uh, and I mean, the thing, I guess if I'm going to add one more Antonio Gibson piece, just because okay. like, I, I'm trying to understand it. So he's RB9, which is like really high. You're saying he's an RB1. So first of all, just right now, like as it is right now, they already have a guy in there that they proved they like more in two-minute offenses, a.k.a. Mm-hmm. like the best time to get reception production, like easy – boost to your fantasy points per game they're using mckissick in those situations which already caps the ceiling for antonio gibson so you're like okay well i have this running back who i think is good but he does have a capped ceiling because of the team with mckissick well now you add in the fact that for the second straight year they're talking to the best running back prospects in the draft like so you're already working with a capped ceiling running back and there's rumors that he might not even like have the third highest snap share on the team in terms of running backs. Like there's that chance, like the, the downside risk to Antonio Gibson, like 
is a monumental mountain over what the upside <laughs> is. Like, even right. if they don't draft a running back, they still have J.D. McKissick, who takes the passing work you want for Antonio Gibson. Huh. So you're already looking at it. Last year, Gibson was 16th in points per game. Like, and that at the they end of don't the season, draft anyone and don't bring anyone in and roll with Jared Patterson as their RB3 yet again, then you have a high RB2. That's not moving any needles for me. Well, whereas the downside is still monumental. And if I remember with Gibson right, uh, at the end of the season when McKissick got hurt is when he really bumped up his points per game. Not that you should split it in samples or anything, but just, just for context that yeah, it took JD McKissick not being there for Antonio Gibson to have this high RB2 production. Yeah, it's just not – it's uh, the – what's the thing that Jacob says? Asymmetrical upside, except for Gibson, it's asymmetrical downside. Yeah, that's literally what it is with Gibson. Thank you so much for joining this week's episode of the R Squared Fantasy Football Podcast. If you have any questions about it, you can always drop it in the comments. We'll make sure to answer all those because there's really interesting ones. Or you could just reach out to us on Twitter. We'd be happy to respond and – Mm-hmm. give you probably bad trade advice. So um, <laughs> signing off here, you can find me on Twitter again at dynasty underscore I am. You can find me on Twitter at YZR underscore fantasy. Have a good one. Bye.